0: All right. This event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ. We're number one in deal finding with over 45,000 leads every month. All right, and then our speaker for today is Ms. Gaylene Lonergan. So Gaylene, I'll let you take it from here.
1: All right, thank you so much, Becky. I'm so happy to be here uh, with all of you. Um, A lot of you know me already. Um, I've been practicing a long time a, a live really long time, I, over 36 years. I've done thousands of investor transactions during that time, primarily since 2000 when I started my own firm, the Lonergan Law Firm. I am a Texas native. Uh, I come from a little town in West Texas called Sudan, Texas, which is 15 miles away from Muleshoe, Texas, where they have a statue of a mule in the middle of uh, downtown. Um, I went to Texas Tech undergrad, uh, M- I got an MBA there and went to law school there. So I am a Red writer through and through. I saw something today where they said, they sent out a meme that said, who knew in 2020 that we'd all be masked, masked writers at Texas Tech. So, um. Mm-hmm. So I am the owner-managing attorney at the Lonergan Law Firm, started it 20 years ago. Um, I I am also a fee attorney with a company right now called The Title Company. Um, We close all kinds of residential and commercial transactions and specialize in dealing with investors and those who work with investors. Uh, I am a mom to a 21-year-old daughter and to two cats. So I guess with that we probably should just dig on in and uh, get started. So today's presentation shouldn't be interpreted as legal tax or accounting advice. It's for your information only. You should contact your own legal tax or business professional for advice about your real estate business. So just a quick overview of what we're going to talk about today and All four, all of these topics are a full webinar and more in and of themselves. So I see we have quite a few experienced investors, but for the new investors, this is gonna give you an overview of these transactions. So the types we're gonna talk about are purchasing via assignment of contract, doing double closes, subject to, and owner finance wrap transactions. So let's talk about assignments of contract first. They're really the most common type preferred by wholesalers. And why do you think that is? They're the easiest for the wholesaler and the least expensive way to purchase a property. They don't don't have to come up with any money. They just find the buyer and the seller. Um, It's a two-step process, but only one closing. So the wholesaler finds the property. That's that's the hard job is to go out there and market to find find properties, and then they put it under contract with the owners. Now, uh, right now, and at least what I've seen recently, they're pretty they're pretty scarce, and the owners are getting offers from multiple uh, investors. So, it, don't be surprised if you you go meet with someone, and then there's someone waiting, waiting when you finish. And some, with some owners, you have to protect yourself because they will just sign another contract with someone else. So that's why we see a lot of um, these assignment of contracts, uh, affidavits, and uh, whatnot of filed of records, um, so you can claim your interest in the property um so you so after you've got it under contract with your seller then it's time to find a buyer and execute an assignment of contract um so the the assignment of contract i mean a lot of people they develop a buyer's list i've referred a lot of my a lot of my clients to other clients so they can uh, network together And then this assignment of contract essentially is just a contract between the wholesaler and the end buyer that says, you agree to purchase this property that I have under contract for X dollars. Now, usually there is also a a deposit required by the wholesaler from the end buyer. And we're gonna talk about some, maybe some difficulties with that uh, here shortly. So then, when it comes time for closing, the seller and the s of the contract sign the closing documents. And after closing, the wholesaler get, either receives a wire transfer from us or gets a call to come pick up their check. That's the, that's the extent of what they have to do in connection with the closing. Now, there are con- some concerns with assignments um, that deposit can get a little complicated. Uh, If it gets deposited with the title company, then the title company has certain rules that can hold up the payment of the deposit. If it gets paid to the wholesaler directly, and then the transaction doesn't close, there can be some issues there about getting a a return of the deposit. So... um, it's, you know, it, some people that I deal with absolutely will not give the money to the wholesaler. And some wholesalers that I deal with absolutely will not assign a contract to someone without a deposit directly to them. Um, and then I would also say the wholesaler has to stay involved with both parties. Um, you, can't, you can't just walk away once you assign the contract you kind of need to shepherd the deal and make sure everything is proceeding to closing. You have a vested interest in it, which is your check at the end of closing. So, uh, you got to make sure your seller is, you know, proceeding, got to make sure your buyer is ready to close. And, um, so you're an integral part of that process. And please, um, there are title company issues regarding notices to the parties. We need to know. <laughs> we need to know who the parties are. We have some clients that we're the last we're the last to know that there's even an assignment. And it really makes it kind of uncomfortable if uh, we aren't fully aware of what's going on with the transaction. Another thing I see quite often is closing costs. Generally speaking, when a wholesaler goes and talks to a seller, they generally agree to close pay the closing costs well that can be a problem because a lot a lot a lot of these properties have title issues when we get finally get a chance to search the title there's somebody dead in title or there's somebody in a in prison in title or there's there's a number of things and that can be somewhat costly to get the property Cleared up so that it can be sold, and if you say you're going to pay all the closing costs, and some and a title company has to do five affidavits of airship at $500 a piece, uh, you may not be happy. So, what I always tell my clients is agree to pay normal closing costs, which would be the normal cost, but not any requirements to pay back taxes or clear the title. And the other thing I would say about that is if you tell a seller you're going to pay closing costs, normal closing costs, whatever, put it in the contract. I used to have a wholesaler that never put it in the contract. Then he went and found a buyer to assign his contract to. Buyer looks through the contract, says nothing about him having to pay all the closing costs uh buyer comes back and says, I'm not going to pay those costs. It doesn't say I have to pay the seller's closing costs. So uh, quite often with that particular client, he ended up having to pay the closing costs out of his assignment fee. And nobody wants to have to do that. So just make sure it's in the contract. Again, like I said before, keep the title company apprised of all the parties. Uh, the more we know, the more we can help. Um, now there can be on any assignment deal, multiple assignments. I've closed, I've closed them with as many as three, maybe more assignments. So someone that's assigned the contract, then they assign it to someone else and they assign it to someone else and everyone gets paid at the closing. So in the other, the last thing is, I, I want you to make sure you watch out with advertising. Now, there was a new rule passed, new law and rule passed a couple of years ago, which seems to have just died away and is not being enforced at the present time. But actually, it does require that you notify the buyers if you're not the owner. So I advise at that time, I advised my clients to put in their advertising that they're selling a right or equitable interest in the property and a right to a contract. But like I said, TREC hasn't done anything about enforcing that that I have, uh, have become aware of. I watch that quite frequently. Uh, but just be aware that you kind of have to watch out on your advertising. So let's talk a little bit, of, uh, little bit about double close. I'm doing a deal right now where I'm doing two properties, both double closing. And if you wanna drive your title company crazy, do those because it's it can get a little bit hairy as far as trying to keep everything straight. A double close is where you have two closings and two contracts. So in this instance, you would execute a purchase contract with a property owner. And then when you found a buyer, you execute another purchase contract to sell the property to the end buyer. Um, and always, always, always advise a title company that the, that you are doing a double close because otherwise we could really step on someone's toes and share some information that we don't need to be sharing. Um, but if we don't know what's going on, then we can't, uh, we can't, uh, protect you that way. Um, earnest money is required for both transactions they're two separate contracts um, and you may need to get transactional funding for the first closing there's a lot of t- a lot of discussion about that but uh, essentially each closing is supposed to happen on its own so the first closing should have its money and close that deal and then the second closing closes with its money and that's when the wholesaler in the middle gets paid. Um, Transactional funding can be as easy as, you know, signing a doc, one doc, one agreement, or as difficult as signing a full set of loan documents for the transactional funder who is only going to have his money out for at the most one day. Um, You have to close, if you're using transactional funding, you definitely have to close both transactions on the same day because the transactional funder will not even send their money until the money for the second closing has hit my escrow account. Now this is something I've seen over and over and over and particularly with new investors. The end buyer's lender can torpedo this whole double close transaction. Um, Essentially, um, you need to know who your end buyer how your end buyer is planning to get their financing hard money lenders they don't care uh, of course cash uh, several private lenders they don't care but if you try to go if you're in buyer which I had this happen tried to go to Bank of America to get a conventional loan and then the the, the thing that happened was as soon as we sent the title commitment, and it showed someone else other than the seller on the contract in title, Bank of America said, oh no, we don't do flips. This won't work. And so it essentially torpedoed the whole transaction. So you have to know what your buyer's intentions are. Um, And then the wholesaler gets paid at the close of the second transaction. Usually this is for purposes of the wholesaler doesn't want the end buyer to know what his profit is that he's making. He doesn't want the end buyer to know anything about the first closing. So now let's talk a little bit about subject two. Now I need to tell you guys that me, that I and me and Kathy Crow, good friend of mine, we are we are preparing a long uh, webinar only relating to subject two because this webinar, like I said, is only. An overview of the different types of transactions. Uh, subject two, it's one transaction. Either the investor purchases the property, usually from a distressed homeowner. Just go; they go to them. They offer to purchase their property for a said price, and but they negotiate that uh, they will bring that. Uh, bring that loan that might be behind current and continue to make their payments so that there won't be a foreclosure. That's the most common situation. And you can negotiate with that uh, property owner to pay or to do uh, various things in that transaction. A lot of, sometimes they don't have any equity. You just agree to take it off their hands. The, the, uh, Homeowner doesn't get anything; they don't pay anything; they just deed the property over. Sometimes uh, there's a little bit of equity, or there's it's a it's a desirable property, and you you agree to pay them a little bit of cash, or a lot of cash if they have a lot of equity. Um, I've even seen where the homeowner accepts a promissory note to be paid later on. Uh, the transaction presumably when the investor uh, rehabs a property and sells it then they get their promissory note paid out it's very flexible what you can do with the subject to so essentially what when we say subject to we are saying that the investor is buying a property without paying off the owners existing lien or mortgage now I will tell you that real estate agents will tell, will tell you right and left, this isn't legal, you can't do this, that you're asking for trouble. Uh, but there is no illegality in this transaction. You do, um, there are going to be some concerns that we'll talk about, um, but there, it is not illegal. Don't let anyone tell you that it is. So you're agreeing with the owner to make the payments, but you have no legal obligation to make the payments. In other words, you are not the borrower. The, the homeowner is still the borrower. And that if there's a foreclosure, the homeowner is the one that will be foreclosed. And um, it's, the bank will never be coming after you, just foreclosing the property and you would lose the property. So some must do's with the subject to, you absolutely must obtain both a payoff and a reinstatement quote from the seller's lender. Jeff, can we move on to the next slide? Um, yeah, so you have to get a payoff and you have to get a reinstatement quote. Why is that? Because people will, I'm not gonna say that they'll lie, but they'll conveniently forget some things particularly if they're in distress, they very well may have gone through a loan modification in the recent past. And what happens with the loan modification usually is the lender separates out the back due payments into a separate loan that has to be paid off at the end of the loan or when the property is sold. So if you're thinking that you're gonna buy a property that has about, I don't know, $20,000 in equity, and it looks like a good deal to you, and then you get the payoff quote, and it shows that, uh, you get the payoff quote, it shows that there's an additional 10,000 that has to be paid at the end of the closing, then all of a sudden it doesn't look like such a good deal. You get the reinstatement quote uh, if they're behind because that's what we are. The title company is going to send to the lender to make them stop any further foreclosure action. A lot of times, I end up doing this the the week, the very week before closing, before foreclosure. Um, It gets to be a pretty busy week that week because the homeowners have kind of come come out of burying their head in the sand and realize that they're about to be foreclosed and wanna do something finally, when you might have been trying to get them to do something for a couple of weeks now. And so then they wait until right before foreclosure. Um, I pretty much tell my clients, Wednesday before foreclosure is generally my my deadline in order to get them a title search and get it all closed before foreclosure. I have done it a little bit later than that, but it's on, it's next to impossible really. You absolutely must do a title search. I, I know I sell insurance, but I highly, highly, highly recommend getting a title policy if you can. The existing mortgage will be an exception to that policy, but uh, it will disclose Additional issues that might be out there that you don't want to you don't want to be subject to. Um, now, having said that, I uh, I know our agency, our underwriter, and I believe there's several others, if not all of them, will refuse to do a subject to on a FHA or VA loan. They will not. Close, they will not insure a transaction that involves those, trans, those uh, entities, FHA or VA, because the federal government has quite a stringent uh, penalty for anyone that, deal, that closes a property or that insures a property without paying them off. They can refuse FHA and VA and uh, the, you know the government can say we you are not allowed to deal with us any longer so there'd be no closings of any FHA loans there'd be no closings of any VA loans and they just won't take the risk on that but we still do the closing we search the title we treat it up we treat it as if it is a title transaction just not issued the title so then you want to get you're all set, you decide you want to move forward, then you have to get some documents other than the deed signed by the seller. First and foremost, you want a power of attorney. You want a power of attorney signed and notarized by the seller, authorizing the investor to speak with the lender, the with their existing lender. Um, that then has to be faxed in generally to the lenders and then they put it on their file that you are authorized to speak with them. If you don't do that, you won't be able to talk to them, period. And you'll be dependent upon the seller for um, handling things such as that. There are other assignments you should probably get. Assignment of any insurance claims that might arise. Uh, a POA sent to the HOA if there is one, an assignment of any deposits from the utility companies, and one of my clients, she's pretty, she's a pretty smart cookie. She had me create an assignment of right to file the tax return, and what she, what we mean by that is that, uh, of course, the mortgage company doesn't know anything about you even though you're now the owner of the property and you don't want them to know anything about you. Um, So at the end of the year, when they send the 1098 on the interest, uh, you want to be able to file that for that because you're the one that's been making payments into the escrow account for the last year. So you want to be able to have the right to claim the uh, tax benefit on the interest also the escrow account that's also a you know a problem Uh, okay so you you buy property you start making the payments you make it for a couple of years Uh, you've been paying into the escrow account uh, with the lender and then all of a sudden you decide to refinance or sell the property and then what happens the lender so the lender gets paid off and then they're gonna send the what's left in the uh, escrow account to their borrower, which is your seller, and that's your money. And trying to get that money back from the sellers is is really next to impossible. So we have them sign. It's good to have them sign an assignment into the of the escrow and also to sign a letter to the lender saying we authorize you to uh, pay apply. The escrow funds to the payoff and that's what I usually do as a title company when I'm selling a subject to is I find out what the total amount is in the escrow account and then deduct that from what I'm paying them off now if it's a day of, of foreclosure I don't want to take that risk but if it's not then you can have your title company send them the money um, less the escrow account and then clarify the next day with them that they have been fully paid off. Otherwise you're just going to lose those amounts you've put into the escrow account. And then you have to be sure you do a CYA with the seller. Uh, you want to make sure the seller understands understands that uh, what they're getting into, that you're not obligated to pay, pay the loan uh, you're not obligated to pay it off in any given time. You're, um, I mean, there's a num, any number. I have, I have a client that has a two-page checklist, and I have a subject to addendum that I attach to any trek contract that my clients um, do that spells it all out, and they have the seller sign off on it. Uh, the main One of the main issues is you have to, well, we might as uh, well, let me, let me hold on to that for a minute. And then you want to stay in touch with your seller. Just consider yourself married to the seller because they can cause you so much grief on a subject too. Uh, and you don't even see it coming unless you stay in touch with them. Okay, uh, what I've seen happen uh, quite often is, um, things are going fine, everything's being paid. And then the seller decides they want to buy a new house and they go to make application and they can't be qualified because they still have this debt out there and then they get all in a huff even though they signed off on it at the time of closing that they understood that you had no obligation to pay it off uh, and get all in a huff and some of them without thinking Say, well, I'm going to call the lender and tell them about all this. Well, who does that benefit? Nobody. It doesn't benefit the seller. Doesn't benefit you. Um, but you just have to kind of be a social worker with your sellers. I highly suggest that don't do not lose contact with your sellers. Okay, now let's talk about a couple of concerns, and this is what I was about to bring up: the do on sale clause. Every Excuse me. Every deed of trust in the state of Texas and generally in the country since the late 1970s has a clause in it that says, if you, without my consent, sell, transfer, long-term lease, mortgage uh, this property, then I have the right, the right, to accelerate your loan. So and essentially, they can call the loan due if they find out that there's been any of that, a sale, a mortgage, whatnot. Now, that is a concern. That is a legal concern. Uh, Generally speaking, I haven't seen it happen very often. Uh, Out of all the hundreds or thousands that I've done, I've maybe seen a lender get in a huff. Uh, I could count on one hand. And we generally worked it out nearly every time, except one when we had to refinance to keep them from foreclosing. And again, that was a seller-caused problem. The seller uh, had a loan from the American Airlines Federal Credit Union, and that's what we That's what was taken subject to. And so then they decided they want to go buy another house two or three years later, and they went and made application with who? The American Airlines Federal Credit Union. So when the credit union started running things, the title, the credit report, well, what did they see? And they're like, oh, no, you're not supposed to do that, and we're going to foreclose. But other than that, like I said, maybe five times have I had a lender raise the issue and one one way or another we always manage to avoid any foreclosure the other concern was that you the you the set the seller wants to confirm that the payments are being made uh, they've turned over their house relying on you to make their payments and then all of a sudden they get a default notice um, that's not a good scenario so A way to comfort the sellers on your transaction is to uh, uh, authorize and get set up a third-party loan servicer who makes the payments, who who you send the money to, and they make the payment. And then everyone has an online account and everyone can see that the payments are being made. That goes a long way. Insurance is often a problem uh, because, especially if there's an escrow account, you have to um, you, you have to change the insurance because the owner of the property has to be the insured under the policy under any policy for there to be a payment out on a claim um, generally speaking I'm not trying to to put down state farm or farmers or all state but generally speaking a retail uh, insurance company is not going to know how to how to deal with this. I over time have uh, developed a network of insurance agents that know exactly what needs to be done on a subject to transaction and you definitely want to deal with that. Uh, like I said, as for account on mortgages, I kind of already went through that. Uh, problems with the seller, again, just have to uh, keep them, be their social worker, keep them, uh, keep them happy. And then the taxes um uh, well, that's again an escrow issue to make sure the taxes are being paid in escrow, okay, so like I said, that was just a quick summary about subject two it can, it is a topic that can be a day long a day long seminar um and then finally, I's going to talk a little bit about wrap around owner finance, which is very popular these days Jeff, can we yeah? Great. Um, The structure of a wraparound owner finance is, again, you're dealing with an original owner who has an existing mortgage. Then you buy the property from that original owner, subject to continue making the payments. Then you go find, the investor goes and finds A buyer. Usually, this is a little different than an assignment and whatnot. Usually, this is a family that wants a home, but are unable to qualify for a conventional loan for one reason or another, but they want a home. So the current owner-investor signs a contract with that in-buyer that provides for seller financing for at least a portion of the sale price. Subject to the current existing mortgage. So you are wrapped. So he is going to make a a mortgage and a loan That wraps around the existing mortgage of the original owner That's why it's called wrap and it's on these transactions It's also generally wise to require at least a 10% down payment. I have clients that require more than 10% I have clients that require less but if things go go wrong you're going to need some money to deal with the issues of that foreclosure um, bankruptcy whatever and also it's a nice little uh, quick uh, cash input of 10 percent now there are some issues and legal issues with wrap owner finance um okay let's go to the next screen um dodd frank everybody's heard of dodd frank Uh, that you know was the law that was passed back after 2000 after the 2008 crash of our financial system um and they found that congress found that uh, there were a lot of people that were getting loans that everybody knew couldn't afford them but they were doing it anyway It reminds me of that movie I saw about that was uh, Steve Carroll. He was talking to a a stripper in Florida who had bought three houses and she was aghast that her payments were going to go up. Anyway, so Dodd-Frank requires that anybody that's making a loan, make sure that the person they're making the loan to based upon the legal qualifications in the act can afford to make their payment um, so uh, that's created a new industry for the rmlo and a rmlo is a registered mortgage loan originator and if you do more than four of these RAP owner finances or owner finances period in a 12 month period, then legally you have to have a licensed originator. Um, so they do all the disclosures, they originate the loan, and then they do the uh, closing disclosure. Uh, now on a on a, a loan governed by Dodd-Frank, prepayments aren't really allowed, balloons. Um, there's a lot more restriction on what you can do. Um, and there's also limitations on the date of closing. You have to give your borrower at least three day, the, the closing disclosure at least three days in advance for review and signature. And you definitely wanna follow all of, these, all of these requirements, especially if you have any intention of ever selling your note. Um, closing costs, um, a lot of times uh, people, they have, they have cash, but if you're requiring a 10% down payment, they may not have the cash to pay not only the title costs, but one year's worth of insurance. Which they need, plus the escrows, which they're escrowing their taxes and insurance for the following year, um, plus the interest. So um, you need to get a handle on what the closing costs are going to be and deal with your buyers because they can freak out. The loan documents on a wrap owner finance are usually done by an attorney. Um, you have the same issues with insurance that I was talking about. On uh, subject two um, escrows, you um, you kind of have a double escrow here. You have an you have them have an escrow with you, and then you then you're paying the escrow into the existing mortgage, and that kind of starts getting complicated. So, I highly recommend a third party servicer on these wrap owner finances. And it, it really protects everybody. It protects, because what happens is the buyer will make their payment to the servicer. The servicer will put whatever is supposed to go into escrow. They will then pay the existing mortgage. And then whatever is left, they will pay to the investor. So the buyer is protected that they're not going to get foreclosed the original owner is protected that they're not gonna get foreclosed. And, you know, there are the majority, the lion's share of the investors out there are very honest people. But there are a few people that, you know, make everything, muck it up for everybody else. And there are a few bad players, and I know a couple that are sitting out in federal prison in Segalville right now that uh, took the payments from the buyer never made them to the lender, just pocketed them all, and then skipped. So uh, I highly recommend a servicer if you're gonna think about doing a wrap on a finance. So let me, so let me give you some final thoughts on these. Um, all of these strategies are useful tools in an investor's toolkit. Uh, Jeff, can we go there? Oh, okay, great. Um, I I don't recommend a sub to a wrap as an investor's first transaction. It's usually better to learn to walk before you run. Um, if you do decide to do that, please, please, please deal with a knowledgeable professional, an attorney, a title company, insurance agent that do know how to know what they're doing and know how to do it. Um, Marketing is a key element of making any of these strategies work. And, you know, you, like I just said, use an attorney title company. Don't go close out on somebody's hood of somebody's car or, you know, at Starbucks. That is penny wise and pound foolish because I guarantee you there will be some issues that arise either right then or down the road. So I guess that's it. And, uh So I guess I'll turn it back over to
0: you, Becky. All right, thank you, Gaylene. Uh, That was very informative, and we're gonna come back um, for a little Q&A in just a moment. So in the meantime, Jeff, if you wanna go through these slides. There you go. I said this event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ. Next, please. All right, I guarantee you'll always find a deal with Real Estate IQ. Okay, so here's what Real Estate IQ has and how we can help your business. So the first thing we have is the ability to run comps, uh, like the guy in the video, Adam said. Um, So this is based off actual MLS data, actual sold prices, and it's updated every hour and super fast and easy to use. So that is part of our deal analysis suite. Uh, which as Steve said in the video and uh, next one please is just $15 a month for one metro area and besides the CMAs you also get our repair estimator and deal analyzer calculators next please there we go and we also have our deal finding suite if you're ready to start marketing for your own deals this is how you can get your leads so we have off-market leads is the first one Next please. They're recorded daily directly from the courthouses and you get a new spreadsheet emailed to you daily. Go ahead, next. And these are the lists that we have for motivated and distressed sellers. Um, And the ones with the asterisks by them, those are part of our premium suite and you can get them with the skip tracing already done. So skip tracing is phone numbers and email addresses. So when you get the list every day with the new filings on it, it's already got the contact information. So you can start contacting those sellers. All right. And the next part of it is our county data finder, where you can create your own list of whoever you want to market to. This comes directly from the county tax records. So it's usually used for absentee owners, um, out-of-state owners. You can make sure they have equity. You can also find vacant lots. Uh, multi-family commercial properties as well as single family on there you can make sure they have equity you can limit your search in a whole bunch of different ways Uh, so that lets you create a list of whoever exactly you want to market to and then the last part of our deal finding suite is our MLS deal finder next slide please thank you and this um, goes to those properties that were listed on the MLS at a discount and you can get an email whenever one comes on the market that meets your criteria as far as amount of discount, price range, um, rental index. If you're looking for a rental, that's a quick, easy way to um, kind of evaluate a rental deal. And if you miss saying yes to the demo, but would like to get one to see exactly how our system works, just put demo please in the chat and Jeff will make sure somebody contacts you and sets that up. We also have a Knowledge Vault with some great questions and answers, videos, frequently asked questions, all that stuff. And we have great customer service that is really quick at getting back to you. So that's on the next slide. And there's our customer service phone number or the email is just at customerserviceatrealestateiq.co. All right, thank you, Jeff. So our next slide, I believe, is for Q&A. So, um, Oh, nope, freebies first, almost forgot the freebies. That's why we have slides, right? Keep us focused and organized. <laughs> All right, so we have some heat maps to kind of show you where the deals are, and we have our deal of the day, which is a live MLS deal that we've and it's a live discounted deal. You can make an offer on it, and it's also a great educational tool, helps you keep abreast about what exactly is out there on the market. Okay, so you can just say yes to the poll, If you'd like any of those or looking for any other uh, of these businesses for your business all right we're also super proud of our new community portal you go back to the portal (laughs) at realestateiq.co if you click on community at the top um, you can see we have several community groups this is our new online social media site just for real estate investors and everybody connected with the business. So Gayleen has a group there so you can go and join her group. And then if you have questions and stuff that come to you at any time, you can put those questions up on that chat through the group. And it's also a great way to network with other investors. So please go to realestateiq.co and join our portal. If you have not already done that, Uh, we've also got some other groups. I've got a women in real estate group. Uh, we've got, I've got a group for Houston, there's a group for DFW, so as I said, great place to network, especially now when we're not networking in person. So, all right, we've got, okay, Q&A. All right, so the first question I saw was about what is a daisy chain, but I didn't catch if you explained that, Gaylene.
1: Well, when I said you could have multiple assignments on a On a transaction that's often called a daisy chain where you have uh, multiple investors assigning out the interest in the contract so that you end up with three or four different assignments now daisy chains uh, there's there's good and bad to it Uh, there's good and bad to multiple assignments uh, but some um, some investors do not appreciate if you, they assign a uh, a contract to a third party that then they assign it again and then again and then again. So that's that's uh, a point of contention, but other investors say, hey, you're gonna get paid at the closing, you're gonna get paid the same amount. And so that uh, they, they have no problem doing that. And I have no problem closing that either. Um, as long as we have all the correct information, uh, someone asked me about the point about caution with the advertising. Well, I, yeah, I wish I had looked up that uh, that provision in the code. But essentially, it just it it just put a kind of a requirement onto a buy onto an investor to notify the buyer the buyer on the contract the S and E of the contract that the The investor did not own the property. Now, what that's the weirdest thing because the way that whole thing started in the legislature was that they were trying to get the buy the investor to have to notify and give notice to the sellers what they were selling the properties for. But over the course of the session and over the course of the lobbying, and whatnot it got watered down to where it's a it's a law that requires the investor to tell the buyer that they don't own the property and like i said trek under the under the provision trek is the enforcer and they haven't done anything i when this law first came out i called kathy crow and i we both called to speak to the lawyers at trek and they didn't even understand the law. They thought it involved sellers, and it doesn't. So there really hasn't been any enforcement of it. But a lot of big big wholesalers have added a little blurb to their advertising, saying that this is uh, this this is uh, an advertisement to sell an interest in a contract, not to sell the property. Because you know where it all init- it all came from. The real estate agents believe that the investors are out there doing real estate brokerage. So they are trying to put limitations on uh, the investors from doing that. Um, let's see. Let's see. Is the deposit for an assignment uh, refundable or non-refundable? Usually the ones that I see, of course, anything is negotiable. (laughs) Anything is negotiable. But what I usually see is that they are non-refundable except for problems with the title. If the uh, wholesaler is not able to provide clear title to the property then the generally speaking they're supposed to the ones i've seen then it is refundable and they're supposed to give the money back again if it's at the title company it's a little you know we're going to follow the instructions of the parties uh if it's gone straight to the wholesaler you know it depends on the integrity of the wholesaler as far as what they're going to do uh, what does C Y A stand for? Well, I'm I'm going to use a little bit of bad language here. Cover <laughs> your A, <laughs>
0: <You're> <laughs> Irish if you're Irish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you always have to cover yourself with these sellers on subject twos, and you have to make sure because, like I said, they're not. And I'm not trying to cast aspersions on a Uh, you know a total group of people but someone is in they're already in distress so they're already not necessarily thinking clearly because they're in distress and they're being called and people are knocking on their door and whatnot and um, so they're not really think necessarily thinking clearly and so you have to get them to put it down in writing that they understand what they're doing because they will be the first ones to come back and say, go to a lawyer and say, oh, they they stole my property. They, um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So you have to get them to put it in writing. Um, I've I've dealt with all kinds, sellers, (laughs) all kinds. Uh, What do you think about renting it back to the owner? I see that happen frequently. Um, there's no limitation on you doing that. Um, unlike on a conventional loan, if you're doing a short sale or your, you know, your lender has a prohibition against that on this, on a subject to, there's no prohibition on that. It just, I've seen a lot of my clients do that. Uh, it's just, you have to feel comfortable that they're going to pay you, that they are going to pay you because they're in a situation where they couldn't pay. Um, and then somebody just asked what, uh, what I charge investors for my investment legal services. And it's, it's all across the board. I don't do hourly rates. I generally don't. I, I uh, talk to them and see what it is they want. And I just price it as a, on a project basis. Um, it, you know, usually if something takes me an hour, to do, I charge an hour's worth of time, okay, an hour, three fifty dollars an hour worth of my time, or, um, but um, I don't know really exactly how to answer that. We, we charge, we're not any more expensive or any, necessarily any cheaper than anybody else, but we try to, try to give you value, good value for your money. I guess that's all the questions, Becky.
0: All right, Uh, there's Gayleen's contact information, if you have any other questions for her, there's one last poll coming up. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Real Estate IQ stuff, please uh, say that there. Um, otherwise, thank you, Gayleen, so much for all the knowledge and advice and information that you have passed on. I really enjoyed it. I have really enjoyed this whole series. Yeah, awesome. It's been great. So do join her community group. If you missed one of the previous ones on her series, I believe they're going to be posted there. So, um, yeah, so do that. So thank you so much for joining us all. And yes, you will get the information in an email about how to watch this webinar again at a later date. So again, thank you all so much for joining and have a wonderful evening and stay safe. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.